0: and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. When we talk about grief on this show, we're most often talking about the grief that accompanies a diagnosis or a death. But what about the grief that comes with so many other aspects of life? There's the grief of losing a job, ending a relationship, or even having to move. Any type of transition can be a loss, and any type of loss can lead to grief. One population that experiences a ton of losses, most of which are not recognized, are youth in the foster care system. Imagine being taken away from the family and home that you are used to, often with no warning, and having to adapt to living with new people in a new environment, and sometimes not being able to have any contact with the people you've known your whole life. Today's guests, Dr. Monique Mitchell and Juliet Martinez, wanted to do something to support and address the myriad losses that youth in the foster care system experience. Dr. Monique Mitchell is the Director of Translational Research and Curriculum Development at the Dougie Center. And Juliet Martinez is the Coordinator of the LIGHT program, which stands for Listening and Led by Youth in the Foster Care System, Grief, Hope, and Transitions. LIGHT is a new intervention for youth in the foster care system based on the Dougie Center's peer grief support model. LIGHT was first piloted in South Carolina, and Julia and Monique are currently implementing a research initiative to evaluate the program's effectiveness. Monique and Julia joined me to talk all about LIGHT, how the program started, their personal connection to this work, and the unique needs of grieving youth and the foster care system. Julia and Monique, thank you so much for coming on Grief Out Loud today to talk about the LIGHT program.
1: Thanks for
2: having us, Jana. Happy to be here. Same. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Monique, let's just start with you. What what is the LIGHT program and what inspired you to create
1: it? Oh, it's a good question, Jenna. Um, So LIGHT is a program for youth in foster care who are grieving death and or uh, non-death losses. And the program was actually inspired by the youth themselves. And kind of what had happened is for about, I want to say more than 10 years, I listened to hundreds of children, youth, uh, young adults talk about their experience of entering or um, growing up in or exiting the foster care system. And while I was listening to their stories, a common theme uh, kept kept emerging. And basically what I was hearing is that they were experiencing many losses and these losses were not being addressed or maybe I should say adequately addressed by the programs and services available to them. So after reporting these findings to the state child welfare agency that I was partnering with um, on a particular research study, uh, they expressed interest in knowing Like what exactly is out there? Like what programs are there specifically for grieving young people? And as I started to delve into the programs that existed, I learned that there really was no evidence-based program um, that exists that is is intended to specifically address the needs of grieving youth in foster care, taking in consideration also these non-death losses, which are often disenfranchised by society and the systems intended to serve them. So um, ultimately in one research study when I uh, conducted that, we interviewed more than 200 youth um, and these young people were all in the foster care system with foster care experience. And more than 25% said that they never had their experiences of grief and loss attended to while they were in foster care. And when we asked them a follow-up question, which was, do you think it would have been helpful to have someone there for you during this time? The answer was unanimously, yes. Uh, and so it's the youth who really inspired the creation of light. So Monique, you get this information from the
0: youth, like you do the research, youth have this grief, they have grief that they're carrying into their foster care experience, unacknowledged, unattended grief. How, how did you take the
1: next step to turning that into a program? Oh, wow. You know, it's, it's been a long journey, Jana. But what I will say to you is when the Child Welfare Agency I was working um, as, as a partner with, um, mentioned, you know, what's out there. I started to look, and as I mentioned earlier, I couldn't really find anything specifically for what I what it is that I was looking for, and that was evidence-based. Um, and when I came across the Dougie model, which I was for, familiar with, I was very familiar with the Dougie Center, I wasn't working at the Dougie Center, obviously, at the time, um, but I... I was just so moved by the tenets of the Dougie model and I said, this, this feels right. This is humanistic. This is inclusive. This is recognizing that grief is unique and that everybody grieves differently and to respect that without judgment. And um, I was at a conference actually. I uh, was introduced to Dr. Donna Sherman, who is the Senior Director of Advocacy and Training here at the Dougie Center. and. I just started to talk to her about this program. And she's a former foster parent. And so not only could she resonate with the need for this professionally, she also had some personal experience that she could resonate. And she immediately said, you know, this is really powerful stuff. And I I, I could see where the overlap between the Dougie model and what you want to do would work well. Obviously, foster care is, you know, its own culture. So you have to to tweak the model to meet this particular population's needs. Um, and through her conversations with our executive director, Brennan Wood, just such support um, to say, you know, we're, we're interested in doing this. And it's really what led me to the Dougie Center to be able to keep building this program and trying to do what I can to bring it nationwide. Um, as long as the youth keep saying they want it, I'll keep working on it. Well, I'm so glad you
0: ran into Donna.
1: So this partnership <laughs> can happen. <laughs> right.
0: Uh, Juliet, the, the name directly reflects that approach, right? Because it's, it's a unique way of spelling it, listeners. It's L-Y-G-H-T. So this idea of it being led by youth in the foster care system, like what does that actually mean? How is it led by youth?
2: Well, I would have to say that it's led by the youth because the program, it really promotes empowerment, voice, and choice. Um, They're empowered by having the self-determination to choose the topics and discussions um, during our group. It's also up to them to decide how they would like to participate. Um, So whether that means sharing on a topic, um, supporting their peers, or simply just being there to listen to others. Um, I'd also have to say that it's youth-led and driven because the facilitators are supportive, not directive. Um, and this is important because we have values of being non judgmental, um, not giving advice, and really just making sure that everyone in the program has the opportunity for their voice to be heard um, if they want that. And
0: so powerful to have that space and that time to be able to talk about what's going on without having to navigate that judgment and that advice, because I can just imagine for youth who are in the foster care system or they're in school or any other type of system, there's so much coming at them about like, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you need to do better. Here's how to fix this situation in your life. Definitely. Why is light important?
1: Ah. Hmm. Uh. I'd kind of offer to say why is it not important, but <laughs> uh, why why is it important? Um, it's important, really, Jana, because you know there's there's a lot of reasons. One of the, one that comes to mind is there's limited resources and support for grieving youth in the foster care system. We know that that grief um, in and of itself is not necessarily a talked about, you know, hence you know grief out loud uh, our podcast um, here at the Dougie Center, but it's it's hard enough in just everyday society and it's really really sheltered within the foster care system and here's the piece that you know drives me a little bonkers but instead of acknowledging grief as a normal and natural response to loss youth's grief in the foster care system especially is misdiagnosed as some kind of pathology and then they're prescribed some kind of medication or multiple types of medication to you know quote unquote fix the problem and here's the thing if you've experienced loss and you respond to that loss by being sad upset afraid confused whatever it may be that's normal and that's natural and we call that grief so youth in the foster care system they're over medicated their rates of use are disgustingly higher than youth who are not in the foster care system, and it, it sickens me to read these statistics. So my thought is medication, and not just my thought, many people's thought, and when I've spoken to young people, they, can, they really can feel when I say medication is not going to get to the heart of the matter, human connection will. So light's important because we want to normalize youth's grief experiences, and we want to provide them with the social support needed by their peers. And this is an important protective factor for grieving adolescents. So to know that they're not alone in their experience and know they're not alone in the world. Uh, Juliet, for you, I mean, why, why would you say light's important from your perspective?
2: I would say it's important because it provides a safe space a safe place to talk about these their losses and experiences that important to the youth without again without expectations or judgment Um, and i just think it's important because it gives them the opportunity to talk about their experiences before or during their time in foster care now now this can include experiences in their life that may have been challenging for them but it could also include experiences that may have been helpful to them too. Um, I also think it's important because the program, the LIGHT program is facilitated by two adults who have been trained in the model and who are there to provide a supportive presence. Um, Now these facilitators are committed to listen, support and validate feelings, emotions and experiences. And honestly, from my experience, it's not always the case where youth in foster care feel as though they have adults in their lives who can provide a neutral, non-judgmental approach. So this program really provides an opportunity for a safe space where they can simply be themselves without judgment or evaluation.
0: As you're talking, Juliet, it, it bounced me back in my memory to the first, I was like the first group I ever attended at the Deggie Center 18 years ago as a volunteer. And I sat in this Small room, and I think there were only three teens in the room with us that night. And you know, I was listening to the content of what they were saying, of talking about their grief. But what I was really cuing into was the idea that there were three adults, three teens, and as adults, we were just like tuned into everything they were saying, like just hanging on their every word, wanting to hear what they had to say, supporting them, asking them questions, letting them speak about what was important to them. And I thought, like, Wow, just for me being a teenager, and I wasn't facing some of these challenges that these teens were, but to have adults who were that keyed into me and to give that space and listening, I was like, whoa! just that alone. As you mentioned, Monique, that power of human connection. I wanted to go back, Monique, when you were first talking about kind of the light program and what inspired you, you kept mentioning this term non-death Losses and you know grief is often thought of as someone has died or someone has been diagnosed with an advanced serious illness. What are some of the non-death losses that youth in foster care
1: are uh, encountering? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and I think it's it's something we really we're doing better in society, but we're we're not even there yet. Um, so when you know children are ultimately removed from their homes when they come into foster care, that's a given. So they're going to lose their home that's not a death, so to speak. Um, But it's a death often when we speak to young people, at least the young people I've listened to and the research teams I've worked with and in the light program, which Juliet can attest to, I mean, it feels like a death and young people will say it is like a death, but I don't know if I can talk about it like this because I don't want to sound stupid or I don't want people to feel like I'm, you know, comparing it to that, but that's how it feels to me. And I really love the fact that we, you know, Part of the Dougie model, which is what light has been built off of, is really about honoring all kinds of losses um, and what's important to the person. So the non-death losses, Jana, you know, there's losses of home. There can be loss of relationships when uh, young people are separated from a parent or parents or um, another care provider. Uh, loss of sibling relationships loss of community so now all of a sudden I've been moved from this city to this city and I don't know anyone here and I don't know where my nearest corner store is or I don't know what neighbor I can call on if I'm locked out of my house necessarily because I haven't met them yet. Um, I hear about loss of identity. You know, I feel like I lost myself when I came into foster care, Uh, loss of stability, loss of comfort and routine. I mean, those are just a few of um, the non-death losses. And and Julian, I'm just thinking from, you know, what you're hearing as you're facilitating these groups, is there anything that kind of comes to mind for
2: you? Yes, absolutely. Um. For example, from what I've heard in the groups that I've facilitated is siblings. The youth are hurting from having to be separated from their brothers or their sisters. Um, it's just an ongoing thing that I would say they're struggling to have to navigate living in a, in a place that their brothers or their siblings um, are not there with them. Um, the other big thing that I keep hearing is freedom. Little things that someone might not think is a big thing for them. It is a big thing for the youth in foster care, even taking a walk somewhere and, and being alone, planning an outing with friends from school or even there at the group home, going to the mall, movies. There's a process to these things being in foster care that a youth that is not in foster care may not have to go through.
0: Yeah, that's that's so helpful to get like a clear picture of what are some of those non-death losses or just the day-to-day things that shift for kids when they go into the foster care system, particularly around role and identity and, and freedom. And I'm also wondering, I mean, I know in the LIGHT program, kids come in and they may or may not have had a death loss, but some of them may have. And are there ways in which being in the foster care system can add layers of complexity to grieving when someone actually, when someone does die in their family?
1: absolutely you know one thing that comes to mind for me Jenna without breaking confidentiality is you know when i was when i was running one of the um, the groups and listening to young people say that you know they they you know so many different homes that they had been in and when they got news that someone had died it might have been post you know post funeral for that particular family and so they didn't even get a chance to quote unquote say goodbye or you know go to the funeral or so they're finding out after the fact and not even given choice you know you know we talk about the dougie center and like let the children know give them choice as much as possible and these young people aren't even getting that choice or that opportunity and it was a common theme that i was hearing about different deaths that they had had in their life they didn't get a chance to to be a part of the ritual or part of the community the mourning process with community or family either because of where they were living or because people didn't you know communicate that information to them and it really was heartbreaking for me
2: it's is there's been times where a youth finds out that they've lost a, a a family member while they're in foster care and whether it be as Monique mentioned miscommunication between caseworkers lack of resources transportation these youth are put in a situation where they either don't have the means to get to that funeral or feel like they have to take it in their own hands because of whatever regulations are and there's been times where a youth feels like they need to, a lack of a better word, run away from the group home just so that they can attend the their funeral services for their family member and with intentions to come, come back, um, but just having the opportunity to be there and grieve for their loved ones while they're in foster care.
0: Yeah, Juliet, as you're talking, I'm just I'm thinking about layers of isolation that already can happen in grief and then these layers of disconnect and then layers of bureaucracy that can get in the way of the youth being able to access and connect in a way that's going to be most helpful to them
1: and their grief monique have you seen that play out in other ways as well i have um in you know, in, in many different ways. Here's one thing though I think is important for us to mention and I know I, you know, Juliet and I have talked about this and I and I know she's she's on the same page with it is that sometimes It's on the end of administration. It's also um, sometimes not on the end of administration. So sometimes they're not aware that a death has occurred. It could be a friend of the youth and the youth hasn't mentioned it because of where they are at their age. They're like, I should be able just to go. I shouldn't have to report this out. And so it it could be broken telephone. So I just want to be clear on when a youth isn't able or has the opportunity to go to some of these services it's a multifaceted, multi-layered thing that there's no one reason um i think it's specific to each situation and just to be mindful of that but whatever it is i think this is what we should come back to is that whatever the cause is the reality is from the experience of the young person there was a death in their lives that they were not able to to partake in some kind of honoring of the individual in community or in, uh, in companionship with family and friends that they really desired to have.
0: Yeah, that there's a convergence of a variety of factors and we can't necessarily right. really point our finger at one specific thing that's uh, standing in the way of them being able to connect. Right. For, for you both personally, what inspires you to do this work and, and run the LIGHT program?
1: You know, Jana, I've I've been asked about inspiration a lot, about like what inspires you to do the work you do, and and when I think about the light program specifically in regards to the work that I do, um, three main things come to mind, um, and that's youth feedback, the feedback we've received from youth, personal experience, and professional experience. So, Juliet, do you want to take the lead on this one? Sure.
2: Yeah. So starting with youth feedback, for me, it's their self determination to to attend group because our program is voluntary and it is, it's also non-committal. The fact that they get to choose the topics and discussions and to choose whether they wanna share or support their peers. They also, from what I've heard, they, they appreciate the time and the consistency and the components of the program. Um, young people have also shared with me that this program has helped them realize that their peers that they were or were not close to um, already have in fact lived similar experiences while in foster care.
0: And Monique, did you want to speak to the youth feedback part? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. I can
1: absolutely, and just thinking about what Juliet said, I resonate a lot with that. Um, It really is the receptivity of what the youth are saying after or while being in the program that inspires me. Uh, For example, one youth said that he, he, I remember when I was facilitating the program a couple years ago when we ran the pilot, um, and he said, you know, he doesn't punch things anymore because light helps him get his stress out. Or another youth who years after the program said how she wished LIGHT could also be offered to young adults in foster care because currently the program is for 12 to 16-year-olds. Um, and I'm certainly aware of the need for it to be offered to young adults because I've worked with hundreds of youth who shared their experience of what it's like to transition out of foster care and just the, the need to have that peer support then too. So I do have it on, on my list for next steps
2: for the LIGHT program, but we're not quite there yet.
0: And then the second component you mentioned was personal experience.
2: Yes. For personal experience, you know, being in foster care with my brother at such a young age um, has a lot to do with it. And simply just having the opportunity to support youth that are facing similar challenges as the path that I have. And honestly, still walking till this day. I'm also inspired because I find so much value in building relationships with youth in general. I have three teenage nephews and my relationship with them is just as important to those that, um, that are part of the program.
0: And so your own personal experience of having gone through the foster, being part of the foster care system really helps you resonate with where these youth are as well.
2: Yeah, I feel like it's my way of being able to kind of give back to this population of youth. And
0: Monique, how about for you with personal experience?
1: Yeah, again, uh, just real similar to Juliet, you know, she, um, first I have to say she's amazing at what she does. And I can see how the young people are, you know, so moved by her her kindness and her compassion and her willingness to just be transparent with them. So I, I think that personal experience, well, you know, we don't always have to have personal experience to be able to relate or support others. Um At times, especially with the young people I've worked with, you know, that's a really critical part for them. It it lends to credibility in terms of them feeling that they can trust because trust is a huge, huge issue. Uh, Similar to Juliet, you know, my experience of being on my own at an early age has really helped me understand the struggles that we can experience when we're going at it alone. Whether it's, you know, paying our bills and then trying to balance school and work Um, Not being able to do what our peers are doing. So they're going to a party and having all this fun and good stuff And we can't really do that because we have adult responsibilities We need to attend to and all the losses that incur along the way. So I Would say that I've had people in my life who were there who who believed in me um, Who supported me and really it's because of this I had the the will and the hope to keep going because I mean, I don't like to say this, but without that support, I, I really don't know if I'd be here today. I mean, it was it was the impetus behind me saying, Monique, you know what? You're not in this alone. Maybe other people aren't going through exactly the same thing you are, but they're here for you. And the world's not necessarily such a cold and empty place as it sometimes can feel.
0: So really that that root tendril of that drive to create these opportunities for human connection. Absolutely. If I'm tracking correctly, you mentioned there was youth feedback, personal experience, but then also professional experience as part of this inspiration and motivation to run the program as well.
1: Yeah, and I think yeah, that's the third component for me, at least when I'm thinking off the top of my head. So um, in regard to professional experience, my work with the youth in, in the foster care system really inspires me every day. Uh, and the work that, you know, folks are doing with youth in foster care that I have the opportunity to hear about inspires me every day. So I, I see young people with hopes and dreams and fears and struggles. And it's my priority to ensure that I do what I can in my, my abilities um, to let them know that they're not alone. There's people who are willing to stand up for them, to believe in them, to support them, and to remind them that their existence and their lives are so important and meaningful to not just me and to, you know, the light program and the people that are there, but to humanity, like there's, there's a purpose and for them to be here. Um, and I just really want them to know and feel that.
0: And, and Juliette, I mean, you're sort of there almost as an example of your existence being really meaningful and matters to like greater humanity. How does your professional experience in this realm continue to
2: inspire you? Well, I'm, I'm fresh out of uh, graduate school, and so my professional experience is ongoing, but I would have to say that my education has always focused on working with at-risk youth. Um, i I got to say I've learned so much about the child welfare system, the foster care system, and the juvenile justice system. It really just made my passion for working with youth even stronger. I'd also have to give credit to my internships. I would love to give credit to Epworth Children's Home. They gave me the opportunity to work hands-on with these, um, and has given me a real sense of purpose till this day.
0: Well, I admire you both for navigating so many different types of systems and the, ways that, the way youth interact with them, which makes me wonder too, like, how do you ensure that LIGHT reaches the youth you most intend for it to serve?
1: Um, well, first and foremost, LIGHT is about community and partnership. And I want to say that we are so fortunate to have developed such wonderful partnerships with child welfare agencies, um, children's homes like Juliet just mentioned, case managers, administrative staff, volunteers, and the youth we've, we, we serve. And so right now, the LIGHT program is running in South Carolina, and we're fortunate to have built really strong partnerships there uh, where all the partners recognize and acknowledge the need to support the grieving needs of youth in foster care. And I, I have a lot of deep respect for that. It really is a shared effort. Um, We can't do it without all the parties believing in the vision and wanting to do their part in whatever that may be to make it successful. Uh, We also want to make every effort to make the program sustainable. Uh, And and one of the awesome things about the LIGHT program, which is very, very similar, if not identical, to what we do here at the Dougie Center, is that facilitators do not need, I mean, they can be, but they do not need to be therapists or counselors. Um, What they really need to be are adults who are invested in being supportive role models and who are willing to let youth take the lead. And it's a low-cost program. You know, we uh, also recently received the uh, funding from the Duke Endowment who's been so generous with us to believe in this as well, to help ensure that we can actually do the research behind the, the, the program implementation, to just make sure that all um, different spokes in the wheel, so to speak, are, are able to work effectively to make the wheel run.
0: And for listeners who are interested in a research side of things, do you have like an expected uh, date or time period where some of the results might start to be available for the public?
1: Yeah, um, well, in, in terms of, you know, writing it up into an academic journal article, it'll be a, a bit. We still have one more. So we finished our pre uh, our data collection. We've finished our post data collection. Um, so we finished baseline post and then we have one more data collection to do at the end of February, which is the follow-up data collection. Um, so after that we'll have all the data collected um, and then we'll analyze it and be able to to share it. So preliminary results are being shared internally in you know the next month or so, but the wider you know population will probably be not until I would hope Um, the summer, where we can start to share some of the the findings in their entirety. I'm really excited that there's going to
0: be some numbers to go with what I think so many of us who do this work kind of intuit in terms of the helpful uh, effectiveness of it, but to actually have those hard numbers to look at is going to be fantastic.
1: Yeah, we hope so. And uh, and Juliet and I will be presenting at the uh, National Alliance for Grieving Children Symposium this year. So uh, depending on where we're at with the data, we might be able to Uh, sprinkle a bit of those findings in there, too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so listeners, I know many of you out there are professionals working in this field, and so if you're going to join us in Tempe, Arizona in June, be sure to come to Monique and Juliet's presentation. For both of you, as we kind of roll into the last part of our conversation, what are two or three things you most want the rest of the world to, to better understand about youth in the foster care system?
2: For me, I would say first is feelings of ambiguity can impact their experiences Youth and young adults need so much more support and transparency when they're transitioning into and while they're in foster care. I feel like people should understand that they don't they don't need false hopes from adults. They need the truth and real hope, something they can believe in and trust. I would also say that youth in foster care need to feel a sense of relatedness and connection among their peers and adults. Most youth are dealing with a lot of unresolved loss and grief while they're in foster care. And I just think it's that's really important for the world to know.
0: How about you, Monique?
2: yeah, I, I think Juliet, you know, really
1: hits the nail on the head in what she's saying. Um we definitely need to pay attention to what's happening while kids are in foster care. And I think about, you know, being a trauma informed society, and we we absolutely, you know we pay attention to what happens to young people before they enter foster care. um but we're not doing a good enough job of what's happening during foster care or while, when they're entering foster care. And so our systems need to be trauma-informed, as I, as I mentioned, absolutely, but they also need to be grief-informed. And this is one of the messages that I take with me when I'm doing my trainings, you know, in other states and other countries. That's one of um, things that I want the world to better understand, Uh, Another thing is that youth in foster care deserve to be cared for and loved unconditionally. Uh, Life has dealt them some pretty (laughs) tough challenges, and they really do deserve to be treated with dignity, respect, and love for who they are and their unique selves and what they bring to this world. One more thing I'd want the rest of the world to know or better understand uh, about youth is that, well, youth specifically in the foster care system, and, and all youth really, is that we need to work together as a community to support our youth I'm really to give them hope for a better world, a world that they want to be in. Um, And we're not going to be able to do that independently. We really do need to make sure we're working as a unit, as a community to provide that hope. Well, thank you for that.
0: It's super helpful to just have a better understanding of like, what are some of the unique challenges, but then also what are the ways that we can be stepping up and stepping into a role to support youth in the foster care system. And then turning our attention to the youth themselves, what's one thing each of you would tell someone who's in the foster care system who's also experiencing a loss? What would you most want them to know?
2: Um, I would tell them that there is no right or wrong way to grieve for such loss. i let them know that everyone has their way, own way of coping. What matters is that is that you find what works best for you in a way that is healthy and helpful.
0: And Monique, anything you'd want to be sharing with youth out there who might be listening who are a part of the foster care system?
1: Yeah, it's hard to pick which one. I I really do prefer to do the listening, but um, if I did have something to say or want them to know is that, you know, I'd want them to know that my heart feels for their pain, um, for their suffering, for any and all losses they may be experiencing. And, you know, from my own experience and from listening to so many young people who've lost things, or people, or just even the sense of of self, Um, it can be painful, it can be really, really painful, and I really wish that the world did a better job of acknowledging our pain and their pain, Um, but there are people who care and programs like LIGHT out there who will let youth feel whatever youth need to feel without judgment, Um, and I'd want them to know that they're not alone in this journey.
0: I think that's just such an important message, right, that you're not alone. And it's like, can't say that enough, even though when it can feel sometimes like no one can get it and no one really can get the, like, the absolute unique aspects of each of our experiences. But there are people out there who can relate on some level.
1: Right. Or want to just, even if they can't relate, but they want to be present, um, want to support and want to understand in the best way that they can to support a youth in the way that the youth says they need support. So there's good people out there.
0: And, and speaking of people out there, our listeners, and I'm imagining as as people are tuning into today's episode are feeling inspired and relieved that there's people like the two of you who are really focusing on this population of supporting youth in foster care who are dealing with grief. If they do get inspired and want to reach out and learn more about the program, like what's the best way for people to do to do that?
1: Um, I would say there's, uh, right now, um, we're working on developing a website or web page uh, that would give more information and contact, but right now, the best way to, to initiate contact would be to email us, if possible, um, and that would be at L-Y-G-H-T, so it's light, but it's spelled with a Y, L-Y-G-H-T, at Dougie.org.
0: Great. And I'll, I'll put that in the show notes too, listeners if you do want to reach out to Monique and Juliet and learn more about their work. I'm so grateful to both of you. I mean, not just for the work you're doing, but for coming on the show today and, and sharing it with I'm learning so much more just talking with you today and knowing that our listeners are really going to benefit from hearing about this important program. Well, thank you, Jenna, for having us. Yes, Jenna, thank you so much for having us on your show. And listeners out there, thank you, uh, as always, for being part of our community. We're really grateful that you're tuning in, that you're sharing the show with people that you think could find it to be beneficial. So please keep doing that and keep emailing emailing me. Send me an email at help at Dougie.org. I'd love to hear what the show means to you, what you want to hear more about, what are we uh, talking about that's been helpful, and what are we not talking about. So help at Dougie.org is the best way to reach me. And if you happen to be someone who likes to rate and review things, please feel free to uh, do so for us at grief out loud. Uh, We'd love to hear your comments and, you know, it helps other people find the show a little bit more often. So as always, thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next time.